Today is June 1st, 2023. Welcome to The Regiment, where public health pharmacists, pharmacy students, and our guests discuss the latest public health issues. Listen to find out how pharmacists and pharmacy students like me can improve population health, health equity, and patient care through advocacy and education. My name is Lucas Nicolau, and I'm a final year pharmacy student at the University of Rhode Island, working with the Rhode Island Department of Health alongside my professor, Dr. Bretberg. And I'm Jeff Bradberg. I'm the Clinical Professor of Pharmacy Practice and Clinical Research at the College of Pharmacy and the Academic Collaborations Officer at the Department of Health. Importantly, the opinions expressed in this podcast by the hosts and guests do not represent the opinions of the United States government, the Rhode Island Department of Health, nor the University of Rhode Island. We are really excited today to discuss a topic that really doesn't get enough talk in the public health realm, and that's patients' barriers to expensive specialty drugs for conditions like HIV and hepatitis C. So Blue Cross Blue Shield defines specialty drugs as high-cost prescription medications that treat complex conditions like cancer, rheumatoid arthritis, and multiple sclerosis, which is what we're going to be focusing on today. Um, As well, according to the National Multiple Sclerosis Society, the median annual prices for brand MS medications are upwards of $94,000 and increasing Uh, year by year. So it's really today's focus is going to focus on patients and their caregivers, including pharmacists, and how they can navigate the different paths to initiate, maintain, and pay for these specialty medications for their autoimmune disorders. So multiple sclerosis or MS is one of those that we'll be focusing on today. So from today's talk, you will be able to expect to learn more from a patient directly, and they'll share their firsthand experiences with MS, as well as accessing the medications that help them live as normal and high quality life as possible. So today we are happy to be joined by Tracy Souza, an advocate for the MS community and an MS fighter herself. So Tracy, thank you so much for joining us today. Feel free to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background. Sure. Um, My name is Tracy, as Lucas mentioned. I was diagnosed with MS about eight and a half years ago. I do work full-time still, though in a different position than I was in when I was first diagnosed, because unfortunately, MS will impact your work and your ability to do certain jobs, unfortunately. So I had to transition to something and that was a little less intense, but I am still working full-time. We'll get into my diagnosis and that kind of stuff, I'm sure, as we discuss things, but that's just a little bit about me to start. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for that introduction. So for those who aren't aware what MS is, it's really a neurological condition that affects the brain and spinal cord. So like Tracy had mentioned, it does unfortunately affect people's lives in varying different ways. But in MS, really the coating of myelin that protects the nerves that helps to send messages quickly are damaged. So this can cause the symptoms like blurred vision, numbness, problems in how patients will move and how they think as well. The variation in symptoms really also occurs with the variations of the different types of MS that are currently known. It's kind of broken up into four different types. We have the clinically isolated syndrome, the relapsing, remitting, secondary progressive, and primary progressive MS. With each of those, they all come with their variation of symptoms and lifespan with that as well. So while there's still a lot of mysteries in how people get MS, we do know that there may be a genetic or environmental factor that may play into it. We also know that, unfortunately, females are more likely to be affected than males, as well as additional risk factors, such as having low vitamin D levels, as well as low sun exposure overall, living further away from the equator, and 
smoking also increase people's risks. So for many, the symptoms are really manageable with medications, even though there's not a cure for MS out there right now. However, like I had mentioned earlier, the newly approved specialty medications are raising prices drastically day by day. So even though someone may be the perfect candidate for obtaining the medication, they unfortunately can't do it because of a financial barrier that they're having. So this barrier to care can not only cause the lack of medication, but it can also cause mental and emotional distress because they're not getting the, optimi the optimized care that they should be getting. And also, if they are able to afford it, having to go through that maze of paperwork every single time to get prior authorizations put through and making sure that the insurance is allowing the medication to even be put through their insurance. So it's a really big problem that still exists in our healthcare system today. So again, part of the discussion today will focus on how MS can affect people's lives, um, but also how the medications prices affect the patient's lives as well. We want to increase awareness about how groundbreaking new medications can hopefully help patients in the future and how pharmacists will play a key role in making sure that patients get the medications in their hands without having to pay too much. So really, Tracy, this is kind of like the perfect segue into learning a little bit more about your journey with MS. So if you don't mind just uh, telling us how your journey with MS started from, let's say, the time that you were diagnosed to um, possible current treatments that you were on or what you're on now. So eight and a half years ago, it started with my vision. As you can see, I wear glasses and in my right eye, even when I had my glasses on, it was like I didn't. I could still see it was super blurry, very uncomfortable. And like anyone would think, my first step was I went to the eye doctor because obviously it's my vision. I didn't go to a GP or anything like that. I went to my eye doctor. He ran all the tests and saw nothing. He did see some optic neuritis, but because of that, he sent me to an eye specialist who then ran a litany of tests, all kinds of stuff. He didn't see anything vision related. So he said, it's time for an MRI. And at that point, because I am very familiar with the disease, unfortunately, because people, someone very close to me and important to me has MS, not part of my family, but still very close to me. I was very familiar with symptoms and things like that. And looking back, I do see where I had numbness that I thought was just my hand fell asleep because I laid on it. When in actuality, it could have been MS because it did last longer than your typical, oh, my foot fell asleep timing, like that couple of minutes or things like that. Or, you know, my steps were a little off. My gait was a little off. All of those things that you don't realize in the moment. When I finally went to get the MRI, it was very clear. Um, and the MRI was only a brain MRI. They did only did neck up. So they didn't do my neck or my back at that time. I have since had the full three-parter of the yeah. MRI, yeah. Um, <laughs> but brain the yeah, part. the brain, you know, your neck, I don't know the scientific term for that, and then your back, um, but they did see lesions, which MS is presented, you can see them as lesions on your brain, your spinal cord, all the way down your back, and there were three actual clear lesions on my brain at the time which the 
eye doctor saw as well as the technologist that read the MRI. So my next step was to find a neurologist. The first barrier is to actually get in with the doctor. Because when I first tried finding a neurologist, this was in October, that the symptoms and I got in with my doctor right away, they couldn't see me until April, but I couldn't see. <laughs> um, fortunately, through talking to my family friend that unfortunately also battles MS, they had me call their doctor specifically and their um, office manager, I think heard the desperation in my voice and got me in. So I was able to see my current doctor, who I am still with, about a week later, he read the MRIs, and that's when he handed me about a dozen booklets, because he didn't want to talk treatment until I had time to go through every single treatment. He didn't want to bias me or give me his thoughts until I took the time to look into all of them. So that's when I went home with a stack of books that scared the living daylights out of me. Can I, can I ask just to follow up on that? I know that in my experience with MS, this is one of those diseases where it takes like an average of eight years to diagnose, right? Mm -hmm. so how, how long do you think that you had those symptoms before you, again, you had this sort of unusual, like Lucas mm -hmm. said, an unusual journey where you had this friend, you knew the symptoms, you knew the progress and the drugs and the yeah. tests and all these things. Um, Probably like, since my early twenties. So how And many I was diagnosed like probably about 10 or 15 years prior to my actual diagnosis, because there was that the vision was like, hey, this is a big problem. Whereas a little numbness, maybe I was, I thought I was just clumsy, things like that. Or, you know, brain fog is another big thing with MS. But I just thought that was just getting me. older. Yeah. Then I mean, I started realizing I remember stuff from 20 years ago, no problem. But what I just thought of five minutes ago, what, where'd that go? It's gone. So it's interesting that you had this, like in hindsight, did your mm -hmm. friend, like you probably never even told your friend about these things. I mean, just out of respect or like, you know, right. gosh, dealing with this thing. So it's interesting. I know I've talked to people who've said, oh, somebody has this condition and they see that I have the same symptoms. And they're like, oh my gosh, you need to get, just like your eye doctor, like you need mm -hmm. to see a specialist. Specialist says you need this thing. And then down, mm -hmm. down the line. Was That's there anything between your friend there or was it sort of like your own aha moment? Like, okay, now I can see this. Um, I think it was kind of more my aha moment because I didn't want to stress my friend out with my own medical issues. Right. It was more, you're dealing with this. I don't want to put this on you, but I, I didn't even talk to my immediate family about what I thought it was right away because I, if it wasn't that I didn't want to worry them unnecessarily. So that actually is a, is a, is a great lead into my next question is as somebody who's never experienced chronic disease, I've had family members who had cancer and brain lesions and it was the worst and it ended up being the worst and a whole day in like surgery the next day kind of thing. Like this mm -hmm. is a different thing, not an acute and chronic thing. This is sort of a chronic and that sort of, mm -hmm. it is a chronic thing. And, and Lucas talked about the four different kinds. If if you could go, so you, you introduce yourself as an advocate and you still have this doctor. So you still apparently have a good rapport with yes. this clinician. Would you have wanted to be treated differently at that visit or, or like, what would you say that that, like, would you have been told like, been asked to say, like, do you prefer to take these books home or do you want to talk now? Like, what, what do you think would be a better interaction if there is one? 
I think he actually did the right thing because I would have been easily influenced if he said, this is the drug I really like. Because this will go in, I know we'll talk about side effects and stuff like that, but you know, reading them was scary because nothing has a side effect that like your eyelashes are going to grow in nice and thick and pretty, or you're going to permanently lose 15 pounds. No, no. It's like, if you ever had this virus, you're, you might have a traumatic brain disorder. Right. Right. PML. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and again, I think the other interesting thing is we talk about like the pharmacist role and how we ease people into mm-hmm. initial di- Again, we're, I think pharmacists are rarely part of that initial diagnosis. And, and, and we don't teach people on how to do that because we don't diagnose, but mm-hmm. I think it's important to be sensitive for here you are. You didn't want to stress your friend who has MS. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to stress your family because it may not be. And they give you a bunch of books that you're just absorbing. Like, well, mm-hmm. I think you'll probably go into, but like, tell me, tell us the next steps. So once I got the books, I did disclose because at that point, the doctor was like, it's, it's MS. We have to see your next step. And it was overwhelming. It was overwhelming for all of us. Um, But I did, I went through each one and then I wrote notes on it about what I liked and what I like with sticky notes, very rudimentary, nothing, put a sticky note on it, what I liked and what I didn't like. And I was very anti-needle at that point because I wasn't, I had been healthy up until that point. I had never been hospitalized, nothing. So I wrote my little notes. And, you know, what scared me because some of the side effects are very scary. Like there's Tysabri, which if you've ever had a certain virus called JC virus can then lead to this one in a million traumatic brain thing where you could be, you could die. I mean, you can be taking like I've, I've taken care of people with that virus. Yeah. Yeah. It's called PML. Yeah. 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 It's PML. And, you know, and of that, course, you're like, I'm one in a million. Like, this is right. Yeah, I was like, I never talking. thought I would be diagnosed with MS. Never mind. Now, this. So now everything's possible and everything's so, great. Yeah. And then there's some of the other like at home injectables where you have these like panic inducing side effects. I believe it was Copaxone where you can inject yourself and then rapid heartbeat and all of this. And I didn't know if I could do that. Um, Or there were the pills, but reading everything, the pills weren't necessarily as effective. Um, So I eventually did decide to do Tysabri, which is strangely the one where you could get PML. Um, but it was because he really talked to me about the numbers of people who use Tysabri as an MS treatment who then experience PML. Because I went in with all my questions and he's like, then he told me at that point, I am of the practice that let's throw the strongest medication at it. And at the time, eight and a half years ago, Tysabri was the newest and strongest drug on the market. A crevice, I always say it wrong, has come out recently and it has its own list. And he looked at that drug with me as well. And that one has a concerning instance of breast cancer that goes along with it. Far more likely than the JC virus and PML with Tysabri. And except for one flare up actually recently, the Tysabri has been doing its job. So and that's great to hear. But I yeah. mean, I think, that, I think our message to our audience of pharmacy related people is 
you got to treat each person in front of you like the person in front of you, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's different. Everyone's different, but to to really, you know, we always, I, I think we sort of have this humor of, oh, uh, Tracy, this drug only has nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. But now right. think about people who experience nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea, and you're like, mm-hmm. none of those things are fun. There's nothing good no. about that. It's not breast not. cancer. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not PML. But it's funny you think about the incidence of these things. We had a we had a podcast on on weight loss drugs, and it's like, oh, it's great you lose all this weight, but you're also sick all the time. <laughs> well, yeah. some people make that exchange, and and you've just talked about sort of a, a great way that I think pharmacists think, which is, okay, here's this drug, it's effective. Here's this rare side effect. Here's another drug, it's not as effective. It has this other thing. Like you were saying, Tracy, it's really difficult to as pharmacists we know that like every single med that we put out there there's side effects that are associated with it that patients might not not necessarily have but it's things that we all know could happen so that's why it's really important to make sure that by case by case patient by patient basis it's really important to make sure that like what what does a patient want to get out of this like what are they most concerned about because although tysabri may be one of the best drugs out there if someone is petrified about PML, they're not going to want to take it. Not going to work for them. Yeah, and it's not going to work for them. If they don't want to take it, that's like they have the final say. Like we're not going to force anything onto anyone by any means. So I think oh, it's really important absolutely. to make sure. Yeah, I think it's really important to to make sure that we do this case by case basis, and especially with Ocrevus, I think was the other medication you had mentioned with mm-hmm. the um, high incidence of breast cancer with it. Those are other types of like disease. All the medications, unfortunately, in MS are like disease-modifying therapies, which have a lot of side effects with it. Mm-hmm. And you did mention, so the Tysabri is the one that you're currently on now, correct? Correct. Yeah. Did you have any side effects with it at all? I do. I haven't had anything terrible as of late. Um, okay. It did, of course, I have to have the side effects that are really weird. Um, the first one was it drops my blood pressure. Um, but I have naturally low blood pressure to begin with. Like I usually sit around a hundred over 60 regularly. So when I first started it and I was going every four weeks, it was dropping my blood pressure significantly. Um, now can I ask him, sorry, can you tell us what, what's the, what's the regimen? How is it given? Can you just give us a little? Oh, okay, sure. Tysabri yeah. is an infusion treatment. So I do have to go to a facility um, where think of it as for people listening, a facility where someone would go for chemo or, or something like that. Fortunately, I am not there for chemo. The treatment isn't as long. It is an hour Tysabri infusion administered by a nurse and mixed by the pharmacist on site. So it isn't just a pill they hand me. It's the pharmacist has to mix it and then it's brought out. And before the pharmacist will allow the nurse to give it to me, I have to answer certain questions to make sure I am not putting myself any more at risk than I need to be. Yeah. Um, but it takes an hour to infuse and then you're supposed to sit for an hour just for observation and then you can go home. Um, every, the only- every time? You have to sit for an hour every single time. Yep. What is that hour for? Is that for this um, type of Just eye observation to make sure you don't have, it's a, actually a nationwide thing through the drug manufacturer All right. that so it's, it's required. Extra. Some facilities don't follow the rules, but the facility I go to follows the rules. And I'd rather be a rule follower when it comes to this. Yeah. 
do you drive home? Like, I don't know. Are, are you no, know they have to, I actually, because of my issues, I'm given a good amount of Benadryl because I also had a bunch of lightheadedness, headaches, things like that at first. So now I take Benadryl. So I am no good to anyone, um, usually with the treatment. So yeah, it's so not it's pleasant. So it's a, so it's at least half it. Like you aren't working these days that you're getting these infusions. Well, I'm in a very positive position with my current job where I am salary. So I am not required to work, but a lot of times I'm so used to it now that I will, because I just bring my laptop and do email and stuff like that. I'm not talking to people or anything like that while I'm there, but I can monitor my email, respond to things, things like that. Because I'm usually there for two and a half, three hours, because by the time they check you in, then you sit while you wait for your chair to open, then you get in there, then they have to do your vitals. Once your vitals and you answer the first round of questions, then they send the pharmacist the note that they can mix the drug. And then depending on how many other drugs they're mixing, I have to wait for that, which I completely understand. Um, And then it finally comes out and they ask you the questions again, and then they hook you up. So it's a process, but. And, and what are the questions? And like, I don't know, Lucas, do you know, what, like, what are the questions? They ask if, if they're, if I've had any falls um, or any new or worsening symptoms due to the MS, they ask if I'm on any other disease modifying drugs. Um, they also ask about steroids and things like that um, because steroids a little off topic, but not really. Steroids are used to treat often um, any flare-ups of MS. And steroids, uh, while they're a miracle drug, are also awful and can strip your immune system. So it puts you in a very compromised position when you're also receiving the IV therapies. Yeah. And we know that like the IV therapies that you're getting are also going to lower the immune system. Right. So they like, and that's something I recently experienced where I was on a couple of rounds of steroids, both oral and IV, and I had to wait. They actually timed it. So I had my Tysabri right before they did the IV therapy the week before, and then they did the IV therapy after. Yeah. Um, because, yeah. I think a lot of those questions may be coming from, because I know that Tysabri, you do have to sign up to be a part of the touch program. I believe. Oh, I am. They yes. Send so, me my little booklet of all the things that could go wrong every month. Yeah, I think that is where those questions are originating from because of that specific program that you're set up for, that you mm-hmm. have to have those questions. It's fine. With each, I recite with them each. to my nurse now. I was like, no, this there are no new and worsening you know, symptoms. And then they ask if you've had certain surgeries or if you've had an organ transplant, which is weird because I wouldn't be here every month if I just had an organ transplant, but that's fine. I'm happy to answer. Uh, they ask, but they go through all the questions and even the nurses from Biogen call me and interview me. I believe it's every six months. So Biogen is the company that makes the salary. Yes, Biogen is the pharmaceutical company. And then do, what, can you tell us more about the touch program, Lucas? Is that yeah, a, like touch, a REMS program? Yeah, it's it's more like a specific REMS program for Tysabri that you have to sign up for. It's really to be aware and to watch out for PML symptoms because Tysabri compared to another medication that um, is kind of like the same sort of class, which is uh, vetalizumab. Um, that one's more for IBD symptoms um, and, and disease states. 
that one you don't have to sign up for, but for Tysabri, you do have that risk of PML. So that's why you have to sign up for the touch program. And again, for, their, for our listeners, Tysabri is a brand name made by Biogen. So when we talk about pricing, there's only there's no generic, correct? Even though you've been taking it for eight and a half years, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe a generic is coming. Lucas will tell us about that, hopefully. And the generic name for Tysabri is? That is going to be Natalizumab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elizabeth. Just so I'm glad that. he said it and not me because I can't. It took me long enough to pronounce Tysabri. Tysabri, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Every new drug name has to have an X, Y, or Z in it. Is the yeah. So Tracy, you did mention the healthcare workers that are with your uh, care plan and making sure that you're getting the proper care. So you did mention that a pharmacist is currently involved with at least the mixing process. Is mm-hmm. are they involved in any other aspects of your care at all? Or? They are there to witness me answering the questions. Okay. Um, because that they just, they follow the rules for the touch program to the letter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's to make sure. And I don't know if that's because I also receive, and I know we'll talk about this as well, some copay assistance through Biogen. Um that they have to make sure I answer everything and I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Um, But the pharmacist is involved. I'm very familiar with the pharmacists at my facility. Um, They're awesome. They answer any questions, that sort of thing. Because I actually asked the pharmacist about the hour waiting period. I was like, do I really have to? And funny that the only time in the, I started Tysabri three months after my diagnosis. So I, well, not even two months because symptoms in October, diagnosis in November, January, I started Tysabri. So in the eight years or so I've been on Tysabri, I've only not stayed for that hour once. And for Rhode Island listeners, you may remember when they were talking about riots downtown Providence through a lot of things during COVID when there was a lot of social unrest. That's the only night they let me leave because there were um, threats to the local area where the hospital was. Yeah. So it was more along the lines like to protect yourself versus. Yeah. Not because of anything to do. And I still had to sign a release of why I was leaving. The pharmacist in that role, like it definitely is beneficial for you to make sure that you're getting the proper care with that. There are other companies not in Rhode Island, but there are other companies that are actually allowing pharmacists with proper training and certification to actually open up MS clinics if they're passionate enough about it, making sure that the patients there are getting the most proper and up-to-date care, obviously by a patient-by-patient case, and making sure that the pharmacist who's running basically the entire clinic is being properly compensated for it, like making sure that pharmacists, even though they're running this clinic, they're basically acting as practitioners and as um, providers, much like your provider ended up with the the one who had given you those 12 booklets to read. Mm-hmm. Kind of the same sort of deal where pharmacists are able to now broaden their scope and seeing if they're able to, if they're passionate enough, of course, um, opening up MS clinics. So these are things that pharmacists are able to do. Hopefully moving forward, we'll be ha- able to have pharmacists being able to open up individual clinics as well for whatever disease state they would like to treat in the future, much like how they had it previously in other states. Tracy, how would you, so you go to a neurologist who treats all kinds of, I don't know if you're no, a neurologist. No, he's an MS specialist. MS? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but when you get your infusion, there's all kinds of other, like it's not just an MS. No, clip. it's actually the, where I go is actually hospital-based. 
So they treat all kinds of things, whether it's people getting blood, chemo treatments, vitamins, other treatments for MS, they do it all. So the pharmacist there has to mix a lot of different, you know, drugs, whether it's the chemo drugs, the Ocrevus, Tysabri, all of that is mixed there. What, so how would you feel, I think I'm stealing Lucas's next question here, but like what would, you know, is, is a pharmacist run clinic or like an MS only infusion clinic? How would, how would you? I would love that. So, so why, tell us more. Why would you like that? Because I, and you know, this is a personal thing, but going where I go, I always feel like I don't want to bother anyone because what I'm there for isn't necessarily saving my life. Whereas there's people in there that, you know, they're clearly going through chemo treatments and the worst of it. So I'm not going to ask anyone for anything I don't 110% need because I don't want to be a bother. Whereas a clinic designed for me and people like me might be a little different. And I think my relationship with the pharmacist would be different in that they obviously have a passion in what I'm there for. Yeah, like they're specialized for that Mm -hmm. specific to treat, to help make sure that you're getting every single aspect of care, not only with medications, but also non-farm options as well, which are equally as important um, to make sure that patients are getting as well, um, which I feel like a lot of people kind of brush over, like, okay, here's the medication, take the medication, but a lot of people don't realize, like, okay, how do I help with these other things that are happening in my life? And that's where the pharmacist kind of comes in. The clinic was specifically for MS. They probably do more to help with the high cost of things, um, especially others that don't have necessarily I mean, I'm very, very fortunate in that my health insurance is fantastic. But even if it's not fantastic, the first time the Tice Avery bill came in, it was almost 20 grand. So that's 20 grand a month. So oh. 200, it's over $200,000 a year. And all I pay out of pocket, other than my, co- my regular insurance premiums through my paycheck, I pay a facility fee of $400 for the year for 50. It's not that bad. Um, and because through my employer, I have my insurance. I also have a flexible spending account. So that money gets taken out of my check like it was never there. So there, I know there are people who aren't able to work and there's they're on Medicare or Medicaid, that kind of stuff. That doesn't necessarily cover all of the drugs. And even working with Biogen, Biogen helps with the actual drug costs, but not the facility costs. So yeah. Biogen helps me with the drug costs. I think it would be another couple hundred, three, four hundred dollars a year on top of the 450 um, for co-pays for the drug, but it's they're saving me that. So I only have to pay the facility fee. Yeah. But I can't imagine people who don't have those benefits. Yeah, could you tell us a little bit more about the the copay assistance that you're Yeah, receiving? Biogen is very forward about that. When you first sign up, I'll take you all the way back to when you first sign up. You sign up, your doctor has to jump through a lot of hoops to get you on the medication. Once I finally you have to be approved not only by Biogen but by your insurance and as you well know, being approved by insurance is not easy all the time, especially if it's the drug that is the higher step of drugs. 
I don't know how else to describe that, but Tyson. You're unusual. You're unusual that you got this like, right away. A, a tier three drug two months after diagnosis. So right. But that's because my going to an MS specialist neurologist, he knows how to fight it. And he proved, you know, she has this, this, and this, and was able to prove it and put me on. So once that was approved, Tysabri sends you a welcome kit with cute little, you know, things for your infusion, like a water bottle, headphones, stuff like that. But they also send you information about the touch program. And part of the touch program is the copay assistance. And they have a specific 800 number for any of their drugs that they offer copay assistance for. And when you call in, you know, dial one for this drug, two for this drug, and, you know, that sort of thing. And they'll help you manage your health insurance and everything. That's actually really interesting. I didn't realize that the touch program had actually had a section devoted to medical assistance in that way. Yeah, they they actually, I have to say, I was very pleased with how easy it was because the perception of the medical, you know, healthcare system is everything's a struggle. And it was not. The biggest struggle was my doctor having to jump through the hoops to get it approved, which he's an old pro at that. So he got it approved quickly. Um, that sort of thing. So I think it's, it's really important to, because fortunately the Tysabri was able to have this touch program, but they're unfortunately are able, like there are other medications in the, in the classes of MS medications that are available. I don't have that. I don't have the touch program. So it would be interesting to see what other medications have medical mm -hmm. assistance programs for, because I know that there was a really big uproar when there was the oral pills that were available, the Symponamod, Fingolimod, things like that. And those types of medications, once they were available, it was, you know, fantastic. People don't have to be doing, going into infusions. People don't have to be injecting themselves with the medication. But with the price tag that it came with, people were astonished because, you know, or medication, finally, you can just bring it right home. You don't have to worry about it. But then to have that price tag associated with it of like over $100,000 annually, it's just kind of like, how can someone be able to afford that medication while also worrying about their daily life and things like that? Well, and also, again, it's that financial burden of, it sounds like this Tessabri copay assistance has been with you since the beginning, right? So that, that's great. And even though it's only a few hundred dollars, the big key question here is that all the hoops went through with insurance and they cover it and you're, mm -hmm. and you're doing well. Like it's justified that this is a thing that's working for you, right? Yeah. Rarely do just for our listeners really do the better way to talk about it is that there's a first line that the insurance says, we'll cover this thing. There's the second line you need to prior off. There's the third line you need even more documentation to justify. Maybe you'll do that. And I, I did that with some students with hepatitis C drugs which aren't 200 grand a year or a median of 90 grand a year, but, and they also cure you. So it's sort of like, why are you putting all these barriers for something that literally cures people? Yes, is expensive, but the, we cure it in this person and then they won't spread it to someone else. That's the other thing too. MS is not transmittable. So, so it's, it's interesting in terms of those things. Also, we are not sponsored by Biogen. I just want to be very, <laughs> it's not a, right. Not sponsored at all. <laughs> So Lucas, tell us about um, some of the efforts nationally and in Rhode Island to just, um, you know, we're talking about MS and especially drugs for MS, and I, I appreciate the process. What, what's what's happening 
um, legislatively to try to control drug costs. Those are always a constant legislative. Yeah. We are working right now in Rhode Island as well as nationally um, to get specialty drug prices lowered as much as possible. So there are three current acts that are out federally, and those are the Fair Accountability and Innovative Research or Fair Drug Pricing Act, Restoring the Patient's Voice Act, as well as uh, the See-Through Act. Uh, so these are all going to help to try to make medications more affordable, specifically specialty medications, um, and getting the process for um, like prior authorizations, the hoops that your provider had to go through, Tracy, making them more simple and transparent for the providers as well as the patients. In Rhode Island, specifically, we do have a specialty drug bill that is uh, actually passed by the full Senate now, which is really, really exciting to see. It's still in the House committee, but, you know, it's just steps forward to trying to get medications at a lower cost for the patient. And that that Rhode Island bill, Tracy, I don't know if you're familiar, we, we my students and I, we follow all the bills and the uh, the legislative session is quickly to end here, so we never know what's going to happen until we do. But, you know, uh, I believe it was almost a near unanimous or unanimous passage to limit the specialty copay price at 150 which is still a lot of money for a lot of people. But I thought, and it's interesting, Lucas and I were looking at some of the testimony. And of course, there's patient advocates who are saying, this is what we need. This is what's, again, causing lack of access to the drug. And then even if you do get access, you've got this mental strain that you may lose access or you have this mental strain of how many steps do I have to go through to get this? Or, oh, great, I'm approved, but I don't have hundreds of dollars or I don't have an insurer that's going to pay that 20 grand or facility fee, things like that. So I think it's interesting that there's, you know, there's federal and state interest in controlling drug costs. Um, but there are points that are made on the other side to say, for example, I, I'm an editor at a pharmacy journal and there's specialty drug prices that actually do pay for pharmacists to individually manage some even more rare diseases than MS, where the drugs are like a hundred grand uh, a month or something. And so, yeah, that those things exist where they're literally managing, again, rare conditions. The pharmacist knows, you know, five drugs, but it's this idea of there are these medications for specialty folks and that cost does provide that individualized care, which as a public health person, I'd love that to be available to everyone. But for people who have these, uh, you know, again, like I, I'm really struck by your comment. Like, of course, I had had the weird side effects. We, we don't know what a weird side effect is because there aren't enough people who have some of these things. So I think it's it's important that we're listening and doing those things. And it's important that you've got this MS specialist neurologist. If you don't have a specific disease-specific neurologist or your neurologist is more interested in Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, you may not be on Tisabri today, you know, right? And so I think that's, it's getting that whole care team together to manage sort of all of these, um, all of these diseases. Yeah, it's not lost on me how fortunate I was to go to that practice you know, that practitioner when I did, because it was sort of like divine intervention, whatever divine you believe in that, you know, I had the symptoms, the eye doctor sent me for the MRI as quickly as he did. And then it looks like it's this, you need to go to a neurologist. And just because that one office manager took pity on me and got me in so quickly with a, an MS specialist that got me on the disease modifying treatment within two months after I met with him. So it was like a perfect storm of good things after something terrible. 
you know, and it's, I think about, you know, Lucas works at a community pharmacy and I did very briefly, but I always think like some of those interesting, like a pharmacist is not going to look in your eyes and be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to schedule an MRI for you, for you. But I think that there are like, Lucas, you probably have patients who, like you said, stop you in the aisles because <laughs> they knew you, um, you know, that that's an interesting thing is that you can kind of uh, like, I remember I worked like once a, once a month and there were patients who would say, hey, I'm having this change in my health, like your eye. And just to say like, maybe you should get that checked out. I know lots of pharmacists who've had that relationship with patients and said, you know, I just think you should do this. And I think that's a really important thing to sort of success. You're not burdening your family or your friend with these symptoms. You think that these are just, just, just life, right? But sometimes all you need to do is have that healthcare professional be like, hey, you know, this thing changed. Like, did you have a primary care physician that you talked about these things with? I actually didn't because it was so vision focused and it went so quickly from my eye doctor. And it was actually a holiday weekend when I had the, I think this is like the very good example of how great my care team is because it was a holiday weekend. I called and left a message with the answering service for my eye doctor and he called me on the holiday, which was a Monday morning and said, I'll go into the office to take a look, just come on. He's, he's amazing. He's actually consistently voted like best of RI, ophthalmology, all of that. Very old school in many ways, but very, like he would be the type that would take his medicine bag and go to someone's house if it was however many years ago. That's the kind of guy he is. So I was very fortunate that he was willing to look at it right away, didn't find anything and said, I want you to go see my friend up the street that's a specialist. And I went there, he did, you know, the contrast dye test and the, you know, press the button when you see this and, you know, all the eye tests and he didn't find anything. And he was like, you got to go for the MRI. Sometimes it's just those things. Um, all right. Well, so great having you on. Um, we always end with our, our question of the podcast here. Lucas, after all we've heard and talked about today, what's the regimen for improving multiple sclerosis treatment and access to specialty medications? Yeah, so I think definitely in treating multiple sclerosis, definitely taking it by case-by-case -case basis, making sure that every patient is treated individually and making sure that their needs are met. And in terms of the drug pricing, making sure that you're working with other providers, with insurance companies as pharmacists, and making sure to work with the programs that are out there, like the TOUCH program, uh, making sure that seeing that there's all these different avenues that you're able to take because these medications are not cheap. Um, also advocating um, as pharmacists and pharmacy students uh, to help get legislation passed to try to lower drug pricing is really important as well. So that way we as providers as well as patients don't have to worry about these high drug prices and the rising drug prices that are occurring now. So this really has been amazing discussion today. And I'd like to thank our guest, Tracy, for being here and sharing her expertise and personal experience uh, with us on this topic today. Thank All you right. for having me. It's, it's been great. Uh, be sure to follow us on all our socials at PharmD Pub Health on Instagram, Twitter, soon to be LinkedIn. Turn on post notifications so you never miss an episode. Smash that subscribe button now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks so much. Uh -huh.